Welcome to the Vet Podcast by the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Get ready for the latest veterinary news, information and entertainment. Don't forget to visit us at the Vet Gurus website, vetgurus.com. Now, sit back, relax, it's over to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. Hello, welcome. It's Brendan here with Mark as usual. I was quickly taking off my little overgarment there, Mark, um, I was, and just um, stripping down because we've got the heater on here today or tonight. It's been a little bit chilly here in Melbourne, Mark, and I think you've had a little bit of coolish weather, haven't you? Yeah, this afternoon's gotten a bit warmer. We're up to about 20 degrees. So it's Ooh, that's Positively balmy, Mark. Positively balmy. No, it's pretty chilly here. Um, episode 268, Thursday, November the 17th, 2022. Welcome to the Vet Gurus, Brendan and Mark. And Mark, I well, I said we need to have a little chat about a couple of things, but I've just decided to throw something else in there, Mark. <laughs> and that's uh, recently got back from a little holiday, as you know, Mark, to Tasmania, which I've been a few times. and we A well-earned break. I tell you what, we were lucky the whole time we were there. The weather was absolutely perfect, um, beautiful blue skies, and we did lots of walking, some decent treks of uh, two or three hours, and also had a three-hour kayak around Coles Bay, the Freshenay Peninsula at, at dusk. It was fantastic. And then I, I heard reports that it was pouring down here in Melbourne. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, God, when we get back, it's going to be that the garden is going to be a disaster because I, with the spring here in Australia, the grass grows so quick, and I know I talk about it a bit. And I got back, and gee, it was like a jungle, Mark. And I haven't been able to get out with the lawnmower, and I'm just twisting my head here. And gee, it's very long, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for a couple of dry days so I can, because um, it's it hits that length, doesn't it? Oh, in the yes. lawn where, where it's a real chore and it takes you <laughs> three times as long to mow you it do if you're doing exactly it regularly. Right. Yeah, exactly right. If you're chipping away at it once every week or two then it's just taken the top of it it only takes a short amount of time but it does reach a certain point it gets lanky and woody and takes so much longer so yeah um but gee if that's the worst of my worries of of, um i'm in a good space yeah so we had a good trip mark and um jumping around here um (laughs) <laughs> Hello to Chemical Essentials, one of our main sponsors, and Andrew and the team. We haven't said a shout out to them recently. The fantastic distributors of the F10 range of products that most vet clinics in the world prefer, and certainly exotic pet vets as well. So great stuff, and thanks, Andrew. And I think, Mark, you were going to briefly chat about some camera I was going to shout out, um, uh, I don't, well, I don't, we've talked a lot about my camera gear, um, gear collection, my, um, my, uh, it's almost like a, um, an illness, a gear acquisition syndrome, um, but um, uh, that needs maintenance and I have had to put in a, a, a bit of kit into um, the service in Sydney that uh, 
keeps the magic of the imagery flowing. And um, and I just was going to shout out for digital camera services that they've uh, done an awesome job with. Because um, I treat this stuff pretty rough when I'm in the wild, Brendan. It does tend to get rained on, rested in the mud. Um, uh, you know, I, I take some degree of care of the expensive kit that I've got. But... Um, but it does end up dirty, and uh, and it is good to um, get it serviced and maintained at its uh, peak. Uh, and you're not yeah, wrong there, Mark. I've, I've been out in the wilds with you, and I get muddy and dirty and um, smelly as well, Mark. So I, I need a bit of a service when I get home as well. <laughs> so so they're all shiny, and it's all um, zooming properly, Mark. Oh, and it just it's a beautiful sound to hear it. Hear that autofocus <laughs> buzz quickly through the range of movement and lock on to. Uh, I'm really looking forward to like I I have a DSLR um, and um, and it's an excellent camera, but geez, I'm I'm looking forward to graduating to the uh, the um, mirrorless cameras that um, get that that uh, eye autofocus happening. Um, yeah, when I when I get a little bit further along, I'm going to get one of those, Brendan, and and then then we can compare notes on mirrorless cameras. Yes, and then I'll buy some more gear, and it will leapfrog and leapfrog but backwards and forwards. But I tell you what, the cameras are always better than me, Mark, regardless of whether I've got a little box brownie or or anything else. So yeah. I am. They are amazing. Um, like I, it's just a little black box of magic to me. How they fit that circuitry and get it to do the things it's able to do. Uh, I'm just gobsmacked each time I I um, press the button and and an image gets sharp and yeah, I, I I I am rendered amazed every single time. Yes, it's good that you're so enthusiastic there, Mark. So enough camera talk. <laughs> let's get let's um let's. Get some emails. We haven't had any emails for the last week or so. So vetagurus at gmail.com, um, apart from a couple from Nick, who sent us a, a, another follow-up or two. But um, we love emails. Send us an email. Say hello, what you're up to. Um, so we've got one news item, haven't we, Mark, this week? Um, do you want to jump into the overview of that? I do indeed. Um, I want to talk about Mickey's article. So um, Mickey's an, a journalist for The Age, I believe, um, in your home city, Brendan, and um, I met her a couple of times, and uh, she writes about Melbourne Zoo's new centre for breeding critically endangered frogs. Um, the uh, disease isolated, light and temperature controlled rooms, the specialised food delivery. Um, it's an amazing resource, the new amphibian bushfire recovery centre. Excuse me. <coughs> Big sneeze there. Um, it's the Goodness first. Of its- I think I might leave that in there, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> it's the first of its kind in Australia, and um, in specifically it's been designed to uh, uh, house um, insurance populations of three frog species uh, that have been left on the very edge of extinction after the 2019-2020 blackfire summer bushfires, um, which raged all over Australia, but uh, in particular um, the 
spotted tree frog, Watson's tree frog, and the southern giant burrowing frog were all severely adversely affected by those fires and are now critically endangered in Victoria. Um, and this resource uh, just looks like an outstanding facility, Brendan. Let me turn myself off mute there. Uh, it, yeah, it does. It looks pretty schmick there, Mark. Um, lots of... Well, having said that, I see rows and rows of the, um, what do you call them, those little click-clack plastic containers? And those Systema little, tubs? Yeah, there's many aquarium sort of things there. Right? Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, excellent. Um, and it looks like they've they've gone to the effort of making a bit of a clean room there. You have to, you know, gown up or, or put over boots on to get in there. They're worried about... Um, Obviously, there's endangered species, but yeah, it's good to see they're spending a bit of money. Um, in- and Brendan, you know what? I reckon um, it's good that they've spent some money, but Crockies, it looks here in this report that um, the centre cost about half a million dollars. Um, and I don't know, I would have said that half a million dollars is a drop in the bucket to provide um, uh, insurance populations some genetic research. Um, uh, it seems like, you know, I know they could spend easily that amount of money several times over, I reckon. Um, they, it's good value for money is what I'm trying to get at. Prevention, better than extinction, Mark. <laughs> now, you wanted to quickly tie in something about your frogs or your turtles, didn't you, that reminded uh, you about something? I was, I was just going to mention um, how... You know I keep uh, magnificent tree frogs and uh, um, the common green tree frog. Well, they're pretty good. I don't know about magnificent, Mark. No, they are magnificent. And, but um, I was just looking at them the other day and I have LED lights uh, that go on each day um, and I was under the impression that they provided some... Um, uh, some uh, considerable UV exposure. Um, but uh, I did some extra research and uh, the, the amount of UV exposure that comes from these LEDs is, well, marginal. So I've had to install a new new light. And when I saw this report and the, the uh, extensive support facilities they have for those frogs, I was thinking of um, how little things like that just... Uh, you know, when you're designing enclosures, you can have all the best intentions, and if you're not aware of the finest details, you can still end up uh, having enclosures that are not sufficiently supportive of the the uh, the environmental needs of those animals. And it can be a challenge for the vets, but think about the challenge when we're chatting to the clients there, Mark, and, and going through the the pros and the cons of all the different lighting and UV and the different types of UV and which ones work, which ones don't. It's it's a lot of work, isn't it? It's a lot of work. And um, I'd, I'd be interested in your opinion. Here we go. A question <laughs> off the cuff again. With Have you used any of the newer generation of those um, fluorescent output lights? Um, the not not just the T five or T eight or whatever they're called. There's a I think there's another newer generation ones that supposedly last even longer than what we typically say to our clients. Changing them every six or twelve months. Have you, haven't you? Yeah, yeah I have. No, well, only that's the sort I've just literally in the last okay. couple of days set those, up in there. Yep, yep. Um, well, we'll we will see. You can report back to us, Mark, in six or 12 months and 
Um, we'll see whether or not your froggies are getting a bit bendy or not. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect plan. I look forward to uh, doing a bit of a review on them. Excellent. And while we're on reptiles, well, amphibians, won't we? Um, we're going to talk <laughs> about reptiles. And our main topic, mouth lesions or mouth abscesses in specific detail in turtles, Mark. Um, I thought this would be a good little topic because I see this reasonably, well, I've seen probably three or four over the last month, Mark, and it's not an uncommon condition that I see in the pet turtles, Mark. Little abscesses around the around the little mouth parts of the turtles and in the mouth and on the edges of their little little beaks there um, and I presume you're going to say yes as far as you see them as well or have seen them as well so I thought it'd be a good topic now. I think it's an excellent topic it is something that we see quite commonly um, and um, and it's one of those things that um, can is definitely made worse by inappropriate husbandry but I often see it in setups that um, you know that I think are very good uh, that largely tick all the boxes but there still can be times um, when you get to see those uh, lesions just inside or right on the beak so good topic Brendan. Well let's rip into it Mark so the typical signs that we see as far as being presented to the clinic is my turtle has a bit of a lump but it doesn't have to be as obvious as that, Mark. Um, a fair percentage of them are my turtle is NQR. It's not quite right, especially it hasn't eaten for one week, two weeks, a month, two months, uh, regardless of whether it was in brumation. Um, so they're the two most common signs I see with them. An obvious swelling that the client brings it in for and says it's got a, it's got a tumour on its face or a lump on its face or under its chin or near its um, little ear or its eyes, Mark, or it is not eating. Are there any other sort of common signs you see? No, and I think, I think you've, you've once again have nailed it on the head. I think the key thing about these, I always say, is that um, because they often start right just inside that beak or intraorally somewhere, you often don't get to see them at the very earliest stages. And as you described, the very earliest signs might only be clinical signs of, of anorexia and it's only much later as the the uh, infection and abscessation gets very large and deforms the shape of the face that it becomes abundantly clear what's going on but in those early stages it's the changes can be very non-specific and very subtle and uh, and it always speaks to the need for us to um do a thorough, you know, thorough physical exam and make sure that we do examine um, the oral cavity uh, in in any turtle that presents with those non-specific anorexic type signs. Absolutely. So the converse is true with these, isn't it, Mark? In that it, it is rare that the lump or an abscess will form quickly, uh, even within two or three days, is is extremely unlikely with these turtles. It's a it's a slow process with the way these abscesses form, these granulomatous type abscesses there. And you mentioned um, examination, Mark, um, clinical examination, and the, one of the first questions I get from vets in experience with dealing with turtles is how the hell do we look inside that mouth <laughs> in a clinical exam so what are your tips mark for opening up that mouth um, and examining that swelling that's in there well it's there's two main points and two sub points the main point is 
um, which it depends on which sort of turtle you're looking at. Um, I find that our Australian short neck turtles, they have, they're a bit, um, their mouth provides one of their best defences. And so um, holding them and having a good close look at them will often elicit an open mouthed response. In fact, so often that you've got to be careful that if you don't, if you get too close, you can get nipped on the nose. Um, so for the short necks, I often have no trouble having a good look intraorally. The long necks, because of their long neck, uh, can um, hide their face away and are much keener to drive their their face deep into the the um, front, you know, the the fold just in front of their leg, and can seal it away. And so, holding their head out, making sure when you have an opportunity to restrain the head so it isn't sort of hidden away, um, and then gentleness is uh, the second. Um, point that you just whenever you are trying to gently have a look inside that mouth it it's really important particularly if it's painful to take your time not be too rushed and do it very gently brendan so what i just had a bit of an accident there i dropped the um, microphone completely fell onto the floor and uh we just had a well my well we had somebody come home and make a bit of noise so i quickly muted and um, then everything went to went to pot <laughs> so hopefully you can still hear me and i'm just yeah, trying to rearrange the, the bent microphone here so i missed your first little bit um so as far as equipment mark for opening the mouth what do you, gear do you use if you haven't if you didn't cover that at the start? i didn't cover it um i tend to use um dental equipment i tend to avoid using uh, dental equipment on the beak I like to gently slide some uh, blunt-ended, very fine. Often the 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 sort of thing I get the best use out of are the the um, uh, those dental instruments that measure the depth of gum recession, uh, the depth of uh, gingival pockets. Um, and because they've got a nice blunt edge uh, end, I can slide those into the commissure of the lips um, and gently wiggle them around. And most of the time that'll I'll encourage the turtle to open their mouth. And then once I have the mouth open, I use often a Q-tip, um, the body of a Q-tip as a as a gag, I want to use something that's a little bit gentler than the metal I've used to open the mouth um, as a gag because um, I definitely don't want to damage any uh, of that very delicate edge of the beak, Brendan. Yep. Well, fairly similar with what I use, Mark. Once I've got the mouth open, I, I do use one of the reptile sort of gags that, or reptile slash bird gab that is metal, but it does have a bit of give, um, so it, it, it's not damaging um, the area there. Otherwise, I, my, my, my go-to is often a variation on a, a little knitting or darning needle, Mark. Um, those, and they're fantastic. I, I love the way. I love the way. Whenever we're doing this, if I can come up with a, you know, a dental <laughs> instrument that's 60 or $80, you'll have a hardware or craft shop like. version. That <laughs> um, works quite well. But the other two of opening that um opening that mouth there mark that i very commonly use with them if we have a have um a patient that's a little bit reluctant there is gentle but firm grasp of the skin beneath the jaw there um that the, the the little neck region there and um 
continuous sort of pulling down there. Oh, um, that uh, that um, skin, that intermandibular yeah, yes, skin. Yes, particularly in the the you know. It's it's a bit hard to do with uh, hatchlings and turtles that yep. are you know, ten centimeter shells, sort of carapace length. But anything that's um, adult, um, and particularly some of those uh, big short necks uh, that are um, just locking their mouth closed, or the um, the oblong colodna uh, oblonga, um, those uh, rugosa, those larger long necks. Um, you can get a good pinch of that uh, intermandibular skin on the ventral aspect of the head and and apply a bit of tension, and that definitely helps, doesn't and it? it? Yes, and I think the trick there is don't not not super hard force or, or pulling oh, no. there, just just continuous just because you find after gentle. thirty seconds or a minute of of just gentle continuous pulling down there and holding the holding the head um, with your index finger and thumb with one hand and, and then pulling that intermandibular skin mark as you mentioned um with the other with the other hand um it, it will usually open the open the mouth there and then i might have the client ready to go with the gag bark um, because i've got using both hands um to pop it in once it's opened that mouth there although i do want the, want the client that you, you can even they you're as gentle as you can be, end up with a bit of bruising in that area. So I do want pre-warn them that it might end up with a little bit of bruising on that skin, no matter how um, gentle. And I think that's be. and it's really important. Um, it it is a a little bit fiddly and complicated, and often requires more than two sets of hands. But this is one of those physical exam things that you just got to work your way through. And as we you need said, to look in there, don't we, Mark? Got to, we need yeah. to get in there. So uh, speaking of getting in there, Mark, so what do we do? So uh, vast majority of these um, uh, abscesses due to bacterial infections there. Um, we might talk about potential other causes. So we've got an abscess there, Mark. So my, my, the, the ideal way to go that the gold standard is is not only removing that abscess but um, taking a sample from it um, doing a culture and sensitivity and when we're doing that it's not just getting a sample of the the gunge the pus that that, that inspissated material in the abscess um, but it's also scraping along the edges of almost like that capsule of the margin of that that um, oral tissue as well, and that way we maximise the chance of, of obtaining a sample that we will manage to culture. Otherwise, if we're just getting a, a bit of a sample in the core of that pus, uh, there's a there's a reasonable chance that they won't be able to culture anything, even though we know there is an infectious agent there. And um, and I think it's really important. It's a really important uh, tip to make sure that. The, the margin of the lesion, the capsule, if you like, is the part that's collected for culture yep. because um, a lot of these mounds are contaminated with um, waterborne bacteria secondarily and you may well culture um, maybe Aeromonas or a number of other um, ubiquitous aquatic organisms um, that may be complicating the picture but may not be causative. And so getting, uh, as you've said, Brennan, getting that perfect sample um, uh, is critical in these cases. And some of these we can manage to do that process of, of obtaining that sample and debriding uh, the abscess out in the conscious patient. And they're the obvious ones that where the, where the abscess is external there and um, 
um, assuming it's not too big or uncomfortable for the turtle, we, we can manage to do it in the consultation. Otherwise, uh, the, all the others we need to sedate or give them a general anaesthetic, and especially for those obvious intraoral abscesses as well, Mark. But we won't go through the sedation or anaesthetic technique with them, but um, the treatment is, as, as we've just sort of outlined, um, we want to um, ideally get it, get it, approval for it for at least a culture and sensitivity if not um, perhaps just a, a diff quick and a um, cytology exam um, under under your microscope in your clinic to get a bit of a feel for what what may or may not be there bacterial wise and then mark what's your next sort of you know general general treatment regime so let's assume we've 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 got a classic sort of little abscess there um, on the face or mouth um, you've scraped it out you've scooped it all out you've debrided it um, you're going to place it on some appropriate antibiotics whatever that may be um, what's our other sort of home care I suppose that you're going to recommend for this um, abscess well, it's a little bit dependent on location, but we always want to um, have some form of um, of follow-up topical care. Um, you know, we want to flush the wound. Now, a lot of these, as you described, are um, uh, inspissated, round abscesses. And so the lesion that's left when you remove the inspissated material and and uh, uh, graze uh, the dying and damaged tissue at the capsule um, is a bit of a crater uh, at some point around the mouth or um, on the edge of the mouth. And, um, and so the application of um, an antiseptic flushing solution yes. um, is a, a, a critical follow-up part of the treatment. Um, and of course, that makes it much more difficult for those turtles that may have um, palatine or um, uh, more deeply located abscessation. Um, but um, for those that, uh, and for those ones, we we might even be in a situation where we're trying to thread a fine catheter into the oral cavity without directly knowing that we're squirting it at the crater and flooding that area blindly even in some cases so yeah. that that can be done at home uh, but um, what sort of uh, uh, what sort of antiseptics do you use in these yeah, circumstances I, I think yes um, I tend to especially those external F10. ones. well <laughs> F10 yes actually I, I have played around with F10 and I um, for these, and I should use that a little bit more. Um, so well, I think that uh, the the key thing um, is that it's done more than what's used. This is one of those situations where I think if you just flush the area with uh, with water um, with some force, you'd clean out a lot of the debris. And so there are a lot of antiseptic solutions, uh, um, you know, uh, betadine or uh, one of the chlorhexidine uh, antiseptics. Um, and F10s and uh, frequently used one because it, because it's so tissue friendly. Um, yep. But I honestly, the the antiseptic that's used is probably less important than it, than it being done. I agree one hundred and ten percent with that, Mark. Uh, so we've got to get down to using a little bit more F10 by the look of it. <laughs> uh, but 
Yeah, traditionally, I've just used very dilute iodine type solution um, on those. Um, some people use chlorhexidine as well, but yeah, I think you're spot on. And it and it is a bit of a challenge with those ones, being the types of of, of uh, material, the inspissated sort of um, gritty sort of material that they get in reptile abscesses, uh, and trying to prevent it um, recurring, especially if it's yeah. in, in the oral cavity mark. Um, and it's... the one, the one, I do try and if possible, depending on the, the, the location and the size of it, apart from scoot debriding it and scooping it out, I may consider closing that overmark and, you know, really freshening up under a general anaesthetic and closing it completely to try and prevent that recurrence of it, um, even though I, I probably have a greater number of them that, that I do the opposite, where we're just um, topically you know, trying to apply the um, solutions um, for several days or weeks afterwards and waiting for it to granulate over. Yeah, I agree. I think um, it, if you can uh, get a fresh surgical bed and affect primary closure, I think that's ideal. It really depends on the location, as you said, and the, the size and nature of the lesion. And, and just like you, it would be the vast minority that I affect primary closure. I have got another question for you, though, just before we're getting close to our time, Brendan. Oh, we are. Um, uh, I, I see a significant number of um, hatchling turtles uh, get infections in the oral cavity, and they often end up with um, uh, with black lesions rather than those sort of cheesy inspissated reptile yeah, abscess. Okay. I see a lot of these ones that have um, black lesions that, um, uh, well, I've started to try and culture them for anaerobes because that's the, the colour just always suggests to me that that's what's going on. But definitely seems to be an age-related thing. Have you seen anything like that? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, very... Observant as usual, Mark, um, and I think it's a little bit like our our comments on ferrets and grotty ears. You know, it's something that's seen pretty commonly, but somebody smarter than me and maybe perhaps you um, needs to work out what the problem is, um, what, what what the condition is, what the syndrome is due to. Yes, um, what a couple of final points um, before we end up being an hour or so with this one um <laughs> a question for you mark um what about the ones where a fair number of these we end up with a an abscess and, and damage to that that um, those mouth parts the beak region of these turtles mark and some of them can end up being a decent chunk out of the beak of them once we've debrided it and, and um, removed the abscess mark how well do those ones go long term look my experience has been the the and I have, I'm embarrassed to admit, um, in removing uh, with a fair margin some damaged tissue, gotten to the point where um, the mandible, the, the bone of the beak went and then some of the mandible, um, and I gave serious consideration to um, euthanizing the turtle, the amount of tissue that was gone, and yet that particular animal thrived. Once the infected material was gone, despite the disfigurement um, that I inflicted on it to cure it, um, it, it managed fine. It, we had to watch its weight and make sure that it was um, uh, consuming sufficient food, but you could observe it uh, making the adjustments and getting the, the food into its mouth and swallowing it. Um, so I think they're... 
the wonderful thing about turtles is that um, they're remarkably, um, given the right environmental circumstances, remarkably tough animals and and very adaptable. And so I think once you get that information under control, the vast majority of them do very well, even with significant disfigurement. Well, not surprisingly, I find exactly the same there, Mark. So don't give up on a lot of these, even though it looks like a pretty decent um, injury to that um those beak parts, um, a lot of them manage to cope extremely well and live very, very long lives afterwards with that funny-looking mouth part, Mark, yes. And the final one is, Mark, and you sort of touched on it, prevention of these, Mark. Are there, are there any sort of tips um, to prevention? I think you sort of lumped it into what we usually end up saying <laughs> in husbandry, um, you know, poor water quality, poor poor diet, um, the usual suspects with with reptiles um calcium I'm always... deficiencies etc but yeah and yeah. any other specifics there? well the specific one i always do touch on uh, because i've seen it a few times is um unusually abrasive prey items and so um we've seen a number of our clients that have turtles who um maybe feed whole fish that yes. uh, have spiky spines and um then it just takes an inexperience like obviously a wild turtle uh, particularly our long necks they thrive on that sort of stuff um uh, they also consume um, crayfish our yabbies um, but i think many of our captive animals don't have the experience necessary to orient those prey items correctly and as they crunch them around in their mouth the spines on them uh, can do well what probably is relatively minor trauma to the oral cavity but in the circumstances where husbandry is marginal and the experience is poor um, that can lead to problems so i avoid those um uh, more abrasive maybe more wild type prey items for most of the turtles that are in captivity yeah, and i'm sure you've had like i have you've had the odd emergency of a turtle owner where they've they've uh, the turtles thought gee that looks yummy and, it, and it's gulped on one of these barbed fish and it gets stuck in the throat region yep. and it comes in half dead with a blown up throat and that and um, they're satisfying when when it does go right with with the removal of those ones but they can be a bit of a challenge to get them get them out but they're they're a, they're a, they're a fun case when 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 it is that one where you can remove it quite quite quickly and um, you've saved the day mark yes so yeah they're fun. All right. Well, we're completely off topic there, or I am anyway. Um, so, but that's a good little summary, I think, of the mouth abscesses in turtles because I think it's a fairly common um, condition in the pet turtles that we see. And um, hopefully, you got something out of it. And send us an email if you have seen any of these, petgurus at gmail.com. And if you haven't, send us an email anyway, and we will reply to you. We'll talk to you all next week. Thanks for listening. to the vet podcast by the vet gurus don't forget to visit us at the website vetgurus.com where you can subscribe view show notes listen to previous episodes and more you can contact us via email at vetgurus at gmail.com to ask a question or just say hi thanks again and see you next time